All right, so last week I preached a message that I thought was pretty awesome. It was titled, Breaking the Poverty Mindset. And for everybody that's watching online, thank you for tuning in onto our YouTube live stream as well as on our podcast. Thank you for listening. My heart is to see all of you that are a part of this church and in this city live in the abundance that God has for you. I want to see you mentally, physically, and spiritually healthy and strong, and I want to see you walking in the confidence and the boldness that the Lord has ordained for his sons and daughters. My desire is to see you be a blessing to everybody around you, and that my, my story would inspire you to live differently. Last week, I talked about how Corpus Christi, the average median household in Corpus Christi is about $13,000 less than the national average. The national average median household income is about $60,000 a year, $62,000 a year. In Corpus Christi, that's about $12,000 less. It's around $49,000, $48,000, per household. The uh, individual income for most Corpus Christi residents is about $550 a week. That is uh, a lot lower than the national average, and we live in an area that uh, has a lot of poverty, a lot of fatherlessness, and needs a lot of transformation. That's why I believe God put me here and why God puts you here. When I first moved to Corpus Christi, I had a real hard time living here. I shared last week how I came from a city that had a lot of pride, that cared a lot about the city, uh, lots of income, one of the fastest growing cities in the nation, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I likened living there to a nice, comfy, white-down comforter. But when I came to Corpus Christi, it was like a prickly wool blanket, okay? And so I knew that God called me here for a reason, and my heart is to see this city transformed and, become, and to become everything that its namesake is, which is the body of Christ, Texas. I also want to see each of you walk in abundance and the more that God has for you. But that doesn't come from a, a click of your fingers, and that doesn't come from a nice, simple little prayer. It comes from you believing and understanding who you are as sons and daughters, and it comes from you walking by faith. I want to see each of you come out of the place of worry and stress and anxiety over money, because worry and stress and anxiety related to money is one of the top leading causes for depression, anxiety, and fear, and sleepless nights, all right? And so for people that have a low income, the stress factors are your, you can be in poor health, you can have a low sense of well-being, crime, addiction, inequality, depression, comparison, and then coveting or envying what somebody else has that you don't have. And that's very prevalent in our society. We live in a world of comparison and looking through social media or the news or even the neighborhoods around us, dreaming and desiring to have what somebody else has instead of being faithful with what God has given us and trusting him that he'll give us more in the right way and in the right time. So I want to teach each of you the basics that I live when it comes to being a good steward with what God has given me. Money-related stress and anxiety is killing people, but it doesn't have to. My story, uh, I've shared some of my story with you last week. I'll share a little bit more with you today. Um, I grew up with a single parent where my mom had to work two jobs. She was a hairdresser by day and a cocktail waitress by night. I spent most of my time at the babysitters until I was about five when my stepfather came into my life, who I consider my real dad, and he moved to Missouri. I, we moved there together with him, and then my mom and him separated, and she went back to Miami where I would spend half of my uh, year in Kansas City and half of my year in Miami. Now, my dad didn't make a lot of money either, 
And so things were really tight around our house. When we go to the grocery store, we would always compare prices of the name brand items versus the off-brand items. He'd show me what the difference is, and we would, we would always buy the lesser expensive item. Once a year, I would go to get to go to JCPenney, where I would get to shop one time for the whole year. My shoes, my shirts, my shorts, we would go one time a year right before school started, and those clothes would have to last me the entire year from JCPenney. My dad taught me how to work hard for everything that I had. We, I grew up on a ranch with 32 acres. 31 acres of that was uh, uh, pasture, and then an acre to an acre and a half was where our house sat, and it had uh, 175 oak trees. I said 75 last year. 175 oak trees on our property, and every year I would have to rake those leaves by hand, no blower, no bags. I would dump the leaves into the back of the truck and take the, the farm truck down to the creek and dump the leaves at the creek. And so I had to work hard for everything. If I wanted $30 for the weekend, I'd sweep the basement, sweep the stairs, and I'd do chores. When we went out for pizza to the pizza place and there were video arcade games back then, if I wanted a quarter for the arcade game, I had to get down and do 10 one-arm push-ups right there in the pizza place. And let me just assure you, some of those things I really liked, and I will be implementing those for my kids. I like the fact that my dad taught me how to work really hard for everything that I had, and he made me really value and appreciate the small things. My dad did not have a poverty mentality, but I will say to you that I grew up basically middle, lower middle class. And in turn, what happened was, back in those days, which was the 80s, as soon as you know, I got into high school and I started seeing everybody wearing the brand new Air Jordans that just came out, or the newest clothes and Jordas jeans and Vidal Sassoon jeans and all the, the newest, latest, greatest things, I wanted those things. But we couldn't afford those things. And so in turn, it wasn't that long before I met some drug dealers in Miami who realized I could bring a lucrative business to them by selling drugs in the Midwest. Now we're talking the 80s, back in the day of Scarface and cocaine really taking off, and I happened to be right in the middle of it all. So by the time I was uh, a sophomore and, and senior in high school, I was selling drugs and making a ton of money on the side, mainly because I didn't want to live in less than of what everybody else had. Now, thank God, I ultimately got busted for drugs, spent a year in prison, and here I am today with you 27 years later. And today, my life is more blessed than it's ever been. But I want you to know that I grew up having to fight for everything that I had, and even though I did a lot of things illegally, I never learned to value and appreciate what God had put in my hand until I got a prophecy after I gave my life to the Lord from a prophetess named Paula Price. And she prophesied over me when I was at my small, all-black church in Perrine, Florida. She came up to me and she said, I see the Lord blessing you abundantly, but he's going to bless you small to begin with so that he can teach you how to not squander or waste what God is giving you like water going through your hands through the cracks of your fingers. And so the Lord would begin a journey of me learning how to be faithful with the little so that he could in turn give me more. All right? Uh, there's a lot of my story where I've had to learn to fight and be faithful with the very little. I got married to a girl that I didn't know very well. Y'all know I've been married one time before. I rushed into it. I compromised. I got bad advice from my pastor who had us elope. I didn't even tell my family. She was bipolar at the time. It was a very dysfunctional situation. I was young in the Lord. I had compromised, and I got advice that I should just elope. It was terrible advice. I'll never give you all that advice, all right, just so that you know. Uh, if you blow it, you're going to be waiting a whole lot longer, just so that you know. And so I'll never forget when 
uh, she left. We were in Tulsa, Oklahoma for me to go to Oral Roberts University. And my very first car was a little Volkswagen Golf. And that's what, well, actually, my first car was a 1979 El Camino, which I wish I still had. But the first car that I actually bought myself was a Volkswagen Golf. And I got married quickly to this girl. I didn't know her for very long. And we rushed off to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we were there not very long before she wound up having an adulterous relationship and affair with somebody else. And I'll never forget, she racked up thousands of dollars of bills, stole my car, punched me in the face repeatedly because she was crazy, and then drove back to Miami and left me in Tulsa by myself. I had to ride my bike to Steak and Ale restaurant every day. I had to eat baked beans on the floor. I had no furniture, and I had more debt than I knew what to do with. But the Lord spoke to me in those days, and he said, if you'll trust me and honor me, and you'll be obedient and make right choices and listen to me and love me, I'll get you out of this. And so I did. And God ultimately delivered me out of that. But there was something about that phase in my life of not having a lot and learning to trust the Lord with what I had. And I know that some of you don't have a lot, and some of you are doing really well. What I love about Rock City Church is you could be sitting next to somebody that's very wealthy and not know it, and you could be sitting next to somebody that is really struggling financially or basically at poverty level and not know it. From the homeless to the wealthy, from Port Aransas in the island to the south side to the west side, this church has to be holistic in the sense that it crosses all socioeconomic boundaries and lines. If we had a church that was all homeless, we wouldn't have a holistic church. If we had a church that was all wealthy people, we wouldn't have a holistic church. This church is a very good microcosm of the way our city is, and that's what a healthy church should look like. Now, what I want to do for those of you that are here and those that continue to come over a consistent period of time is I want you to step into the more God has for you so that we can bring the people up as they come in. Amen? And so that's what I want to really teach you. And so I talked last week about a poverty mentality. Some of you may not have a poverty mentality, and you're doing really well. The opposite of a poverty mentality is a prideful mentality. It's where you keep and hoard what God's given you instead of understanding it came from him and giving it away. But what I'm really going to talk about today is those of you that may be struggling with debt, finances, and believing that God has more for you, and I want to identify what a poverty mentality looks like, and we're going to replace it. I'm going to show you how to replace a poverty mentality in your life. So let me define it for you. A poverty mentality is one that influences behaviors consistent with beliefs that money should not be spent, opportunities are limited, and any risk at all is dangerous. What happens with a poverty mentality is, is you're always fearful that if you spend it, you won't have more. And God calls us to take risks. I'm a huge risk taker, a huge risk taker. I take risks in everything that I do. Now, hopefully I'm not taking the risks led by me. Hopefully, I'm not taking a risk on my own decision-making, but I'm taking a risk on his leading and guidance. So when we bought this shopping center, we defied all natural odds. We had $20,000 in the bank. I had 225 people coming to Rock City at the time, and the Lord opened up the door for us to buy a $2.8 million piece of property, and I was going to be the guy that signed my name as a guarantor. My net worth at the time was only $250,000. So the fact that I got to sign as a guarantor on a $2.8 million loan to buy this church was a miracle, to buy this whole shopping center. But you need to understand that I'm a risk taker. One, I wasn't going to stay in a fellowship hall with 225 people because I knew God had called me to transform the city. 
and there's hundreds of thousands of people in this city. Number two, we can't stay the same and in the same place. If we stay the same and in the same place, this church will become inbred. And I don't want an inbred church. And I'm not okay without expansion to make room for the harvest that God's bringing in there, hurting and broken people everywhere around us. And it's not a matter of what you see in the seats. Last service was completely full. Children's ministry is completely full. The point is, is that we have got to prepare in advance for what God's doing, and that takes a lot of risk. That takes believing for things that we may not have now, and that's what hope is. Hope is believing for something you don't fully see. And I know God is about to bring something incredible to your life and to my life. And so I'm a risk taker. The next thing is that people believe that your opportunities are limited when you have a poverty mentality. All you see is problems instead of solutions. And the enemy always wants your eyes fixed on what your problems are instead of your solutions. The solution is Jesus and the fact that God gives you an incredible opportunity. And as I shared last week in Deuteronomy, he gives you the power to get wealth. Now, wealth isn't just to be rich. Wealth is to be mentally, physically, and spiritually healthy and to have an abundance in your life to bless other people's lives and to be well taken care of. That's what I believe. Now, you're hearing this from a story or from a guy that's got a story that came from a very broken past. But today, through hard work and trust and being faithful with what God's given me, here we are. And so a poverty mentality believes that any risk at all is dangerous. And any success is temporary. A poverty mentality is this mindset that I may have success now, but it's fleeting. And it's not going to stay in my life. And I have to hang on to it so tight so that it doesn't go away. We live in a constant fear that the way God's blessed me now could go away any moment. A poverty mentality generally remains in the back of the car instead of believing God wants to give you a new car and you drive the steering wheel because God has the ability to bless you with things that you don't have and you don't see, but you got to start having faith for it. I have incredible faith for God to bless people with cars. That's why I stepped up recently and we asked somebody to give away a car here and they did. And then somebody else gave me a car to give away. And now I'm believing for another car to give away. And then I started reading Robert Morris's book that we're going to give away to you guys today, who's the pastor of Gateway Church. Everybody's going to get a copy of this after service today because this book has changed my life. And I started reading it after God's given me supernatural faith for you. And he had this whole season where God was giving cars away in his life. But the challenge is, is I've got a lot of people that have a laissez-faire mentality when it comes to being blessed financially. I've got a lot of people here that don't have faith for it. And so I say, you know, God wants to bless you. Oh, well, if it happens, it happens. And then we sit back idly like a Christian couch surfer instead of aggressively by faith believing that God has something great for you. And you're thanking him for it before it even comes. Some of you are in a very difficult job and may not make a lot of money. But if I could get you to trust and be faithful with what you have and to trust God for more and walk by faith instead of sight, you can position yourself for the more God has for you. Instead of thinking that you're going to stay broke, busted, and disgusted in every area of your life. God, if you're going to be under my watch, you're going to be a leader. And you're going to transform this city. And you're going to transform your family and the community around you mightily and powerfully and supernaturally. Now I'm going to show you how the Bible promises us to be a delightful land so that when the nations of the world around us see us, see this church, and see you, they go, what is it about you? That's the greatest compliment you could ever get when somebody says, something's changed in you. 
You're not the way you used to be. Look at your life. You've been so, God has blessed you. See, that's what happened with Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night and he says, Rabbi, we know that you must have come from God because nobody could do what you do had you not. And Jesus, instead of going, yeah, look at me, sticking his nose up in the air and, you know, patting himself on the back. Instead, he said, unless you're born again, you can't see and do what I do. Because the answer is total surrender to Jesus and then understanding God rescues you out of an orphan's mentality. The poverty mentality is a mindset that for whatever reason, people make choices to not progress their own human capital. You make the choice to just stay where you're at. And I don't believe God wants you to stay where you're at. Now, I don't believe you should be discontent, but I believe that you should be walking by faith that God has more in store for you in every area of your life, and I'm going to show it to you. Alan Weiss is an incredible teacher and author when it comes to capital and wealth management, and he says this. I'm going to share a lot of things from some of his books. He says this. One reason for people having a poverty mindset is they continue to think they're a victim of other people's choices and decisions. You are not a victim. Now, you may have been a victim, but when you get born again, God rescues you out of a victim mentality. And so we have this thing going on with this generation of entitlement and being angry at the rich and tax the rich more to bless my life. And instead of me working hard in equal opportunity, I want what somebody else has. In the kingdom of God, you have equal opportunity. God wants to bless anyone and everyone that puts their trust and hope inside of, their, of his life. You don't have to stay where you're at. And you're not a victim of somebody else's decisions. You're not a victim. You may have been, but I'm a part of the kingdom of God. When you get born again, you're not a part of this world system. You are a part of the kingdom of God. Some of the signs of a poverty mentality are assigning negative motives to people who are more prosperous than you. Well, they got it by illicit gain. They robbed somebody. They cheated the system. They cheated their taxes. They must have got in that spot by not working hard. They either got an inheritance or they won the lottery. Let me tell you something. I'm friends with personal friends with five millionaires. Five. And I'm friends with those five millionaires because I love them for who they are and don't expect anything in return. And I'm not moved by their wealth. Now, do I learn from them and ask them questions and want to know what are the steps that they took and are there examples in their lives that I can learn from? Yes. But they put their pants on and they go to the bathroom the same way that I do. And I understand that every one of them worked hard to get. They all started out small somewhere. Somebody turned a wrench. Somebody went to school to become a doctor. Somebody paid the price to get where they're at. And they don't owe me anything and they don't owe you anything. And so what happens is, is we think we're a victim of the government. We're a victim of the choices and decisions somebody else makes. No, you're not. And you don't have to find yourself jealous of more successful people. And you don't have to be a powerless victim. Here's some warning signs of, of a poverty mentality. First, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on your problem or are you focusing on the fact that God has a solution for you? Are you focused on what you have or are what you lack? Because I promise you, no matter where all y'all are at right now, you may be in a mound of debt and barely able to pay your rent tonight or sleeping under a bridge. I've seen it all, and I've even been there. God can transform your life right where you're at. 
Right now, today, you can start trusting and make a decision that something will change. If I can get you to start walking by faith and making right choices and being a good steward and budgeting your money, I don't care if you are in poverty level, God can change it out of your life. I got to get you out of entitlement. I got to get you to believe you don't have to live on food stamps or paycheck to paycheck. Walking by faith and to start sowing and giving back into the kingdom, which I'm going to teach you this morning. We're going to replace that poverty mentality. And not everybody that goes to this church has that. But my job and even their job partnering together with me is to pull this city and pull the kingdom of God up into the abundance that God has for them because God blesses you to be a blessing. He wants you to be a blessing to other people's lives. You understand that. And so the next thing is, is how do you feel about people that are prosperous? Are you jealous? Do you have a hatred in your heart? Do you have envy? How about that person that lives down the street or that person that drives the better car? And then we live in this world of comparison where we feel like I've got to drive that car to be successful. Let me tell you something. You be faithful with the little God gives you, and I don't care what your car looks like because your rims and your stereo system and your paint job don't make you and don't define you. You be faithful when you're driving the broke-down, beat-up car because if you are, God can bless you with a nicer car, and it's not that God doesn't want you to drive a nice car or have nice rims and a stereo system and a good paint job. The point is, is what has you? Do you have the money or does the money have you? And if you, don't, if you have pride and arrogance in comparison in your life, you're never gonna step into the more God has for you. What you do is you have total trust and surrender in his lordship right where you're at, and you be content, and you say, God, I, I'm believing for more by faith. I'm thanking you for it, but with what you've given me, I will be a good steward and content with it. And then you give away what God has put inside of your hand. So do you have a jealousy in your heart or envy or hatred towards people that are wealthy and prosperous? Because if you do, you're never going to be put into the right position. You're never going to step into the more. Nobody owes you anything. Do you feel entitled or owed you know, when we gave away the car here in this church, I had, single, I had a single mother. I had two people get offended that I gave a car away to this single mom with two little children, and they had been coming here years longer, and we never gave one away to them. You want to talk about how jacked up that is? People put, put expectations and entitlements on this church. Let me tell you, I don't know you anything except this to live upright, love my family, and preach a powerful word in your face and love you and challenge you to live differently and to be a man of God and that when you come in here, you experience God's presence, you're transformed, you're awakened and challenged to live differently. I don't owe you money. I don't have to pay for any of your groceries. The church is not a bank. We give money away because God commands us to take care of the needy, and we do that. And if you have a need, you get help and you ask somebody for it. We give a lot of money away at this church. But people come to this church with this entitlement expectation. And sometimes God says, you know what? Silver and gold is not what you're to give them. You're supposed to pray for them because you're supposed to learn how to trust God even more. And then what happens if you don't get the HEB gift card, somebody gets offended. See, that church doesn't do anything for me. Entitlement. And it's jacked up. Nobody, the government doesn't owe you anything. You're part of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, render to Caesar what Caesar's. And trust that God will bless you in your life. We don't live with an entitlement. Nobody owes you anything. I don't owe any of my employees anything except a paycheck for hard work. And if they don't work hard, they don't work for me. Or they get fired. And they don't get a bonus check because they showed up on time to work. 
you don't get any extra privilege because you work at Coffee Waves. You work hard and show me that you work hard because we all work hard and trust God with what he's given us, whether we have a little bit or a lot. And so my point I'm trying to make to you today is break that entitlement mentality. Break that, that victim mentality. Celebrate. What should have happened was when Stephanie got a vehicle here in this church on the spot or somebody else gets one or I give away another 20 and you didn't get one when you needed one so bad and you're taking the bus, you celebrate their life and rejoice with them. Thank you. Do you make decisions based on fear? You don't make decisions based on fear. When I give to, give to the kingdom and I give, I give joyously because God told me to, not because of fear that I'll have. I don't know anybody that's ever been a giver that is in lack. The Bible says, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. Anybody that I know that is successful and has money has always been a giver. And they give when it hurts. The best sacrifice is when you give when it hurts. Because I get it. Some of you are in massive debt. I've got some people here, single moms, that don't make a lot of money that even work for me, and I know what they make. But if I can teach them to start giving and being faithful with the little that God's put in your hand, and you start trusting and walking by faith, you'll see God do the miraculous. I 100% guarantee it. I had somebody say, well, you know, you teach that tithing thing. Well, what happens if the bottom falls out? And I said, well, I've never seen the bottom fall out, so I don't know what that looks like. And you know what? Even if the bottom did fell out, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord because my giving's not based on my life circumstances. Bam. Oh, I'm just getting started. Listen to what else Alan Weiss said. He said, here are the key signs that if you have a poverty mentality, belief that you're a victim of other people's decisions and choices, fear of spending money on non-essentials. Now, there's a time where God will, may have you only spend money on essential things. But sometimes God really does want you to be blessed and have nice things that you really like. So 30 years ago or so, I bought my first uh, fiberglass, super cheap, $150 pair of cosmic percussion, the most low-grade congas you can ever get. I still have them to this day. I'm letting Emmanuel practice with those, and my son... And my kids, if they want them, will inherit those. After a while, after about 10 years, God upgraded me 20 years ago to a limited edition 35th anniversary LP congas. And I played those faithfully for the Lord for 20 years. And then God dropped in my spirit. He says, I want to upgrade you. I said, all right. <laughs> now, did I need new congas? No, but God blessed me with 55th anniversary limited edition congas that you see on the stage and let me just tell you how fired up and excited I am to play them did I need them no could I've spent the money on something else sure but God said I want to bless your life you've been faithful now you have to understand this church didn't fall in my lap and I didn't get here overnight I served other men for years 10 15 20 years I was faithful at every job that I ever worked at I was faithful with what God had given me and even when I blew it or got into debt or or just just burned the house down, which I've done before. God in his love and mercy, I paid a price through it, rescued me out of it. And God can rescue you out of your situation right now, whatever it is. I Mark my words, I promise you, I don't care what situation you're in, God can rescue you out of it. I gotta get you to trust him and be faithful with the little. Because when you're faithful with the little, God will give you a lot. And when you're faithful with another man's, 
you'll get your own. And until you learn to be faithful and steward somebody else's, trust me, everyone worked a job for somebody else. Every wealthy person I know worked for somebody else before God entrusted them with more. But God gives you the ability and the power to gain wealth. And wealth's not just money. It's to be prosperous mentally, physically, and spiritually. It's to take care of yourself, live a long, healthy life, and to also have abundance to give away to other people. Other signs of a poverty mentality, and this is a little convicting, a constant search for the cheapest alternative. <laughs> An obsession with getting deals and free entry. I've never, if you, if you can only wear name brand and you have to have the most expensive purse, ladies, or the best jeans and shoes all the time, that's a sign of mammon being a God in your life. Now, I like wearing name brand things. Thank God for Marshalls and TJ Maxx. Thank God that Dillard's run sales. That's all I'm saying. But I'm not talking about buying little things or clothes. I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about there's times that God says, you pay full price for that car. You pay full price for that piece of land or that house. Christians are notorious for always trying to get the cheapest bargain free thing. Shouldn't we be the ones that set the standard? And the guy comes along and he offers a hardworking construction guy or lawn mowing guy or moving guy or whoever it is you are comes along and you don't, you don't have to chintz them down and nickel and dime. You say, how much is it? Oh, 50 bucks to mow my lawn? No problem. Go for it. And while you're here, I'm going to give you a prophetic word and prophesy over you. You're going to hear about Jesus while you mow my lawn. Now, I mow my own lawn right now, but I'd love to be in a place one day where I could pay somebody else to do it. And I don't see anything wrong with that. God blesses you to be a blessing to others. And so you can't live your life always with a cheap mindset. But at the same time, you don't have to be prideful to always have the best of everything. You learn to be faithful with what God gives you. And trust that he'll give you more for a purpose. Everything I have represents Christ. My license plate on my truck celebrates this church. Say, so, oh, that's so vain. You got rock city on your license plate. No. I'm the biggest fan of what God wants to do here. And my home, my car, my stuff, my life, it doesn't have me because I came from nothing. I have it, and I get it to be a blessing to others and to use it. I don't care where you live or what you do. If God blesses you, if you got a lot or a little, you use what you've got to represent Christ. A poverty mentality, here's the other extreme. You deny yourself good things as an ongoing way of life. You don't take vacations. You don't have fun. You don't invest in yourself and your family. You feel guilty if you buy something nice. It's poverty. It can be a poverty mentality. Feelings of guilt when you have more than someone else. When I rolled up this morning to church, there was a couple homeless girls that I'd never seen before, two girls sitting on the side of this church. And I rolled up, and one didn't know who I was and shook their head like I was taking their spot. I parked, I got out, and they re realized who I was. I hadn't seen them before, but they must have known either through my car tag. I don't know. I don't care. But I walked out, and I said, in my mind, when I rolled up, I said, today is their lucky day. Well, not lucky, but blessed day. Today's their day. I grabbed some money. I put it in my pocket. And I don't do that for everybody, but I already knew there was going to be a divine appointment. 
And as soon as I walked up, one, one of the girls said she had cancer and the other one had a black eye. I don't know if they're here, but I, I said, you know what? I'm going to bless you today. What can I do? And I started praying. They started weeping and crying. And I prayed comfort over them. And then I handed one of them some money. And the other one, I said, you go down to my coffee shop and you get yourself some food and a coffee right now. And I called it into the coffee shop because I realized God blesses me to be a blessing. And I'm not, you're not giving your money to pay a light bill. You're giving your money so God can light your bill. Amen. You understand? When, when Elijah, when God called, when there was a famine in the land, Elijah went to the widow with just some sticks and a little bit of oil. God wasn't bringing the widow to Elijah. He brought Elijah to the widow. When you give and you trust God, God positions you to receive what God has for you. It's not about taking anything from anybody. It's about you being positioned for the more he has for you. Fear being seen as boasting when you describe a simple accomplishment or you have a praise report. Where's the praise reports? Man, I got a promotion. You know what? I was miserable in my job, but God told me to serve and love well. Where's the praise reports? My income increased 10 grand. It's like you feel guilty if God blesses you. You feel guilty if something good happens. But you know what? You shouldn't. You should, be, you should know that you are the blessed of the Lord. You're a head, not a tail. And you're a representation of the people around you of what blessing can look like. Here's another one. Never picking up a check when someone else has the ability to pay for it. And then you ride along and you never want to pay for the ticket when somebody else always pays for the ticket. You should pick up, learn to pick up checks. I've done it for many of my friends that have a lot of money. And trust me, no one ever buys their meal. Because they're the ones with all the money and they just are habit to pay for it. I had a millionaire friend when I paid for the check for seven or eight people, and he was mad at me because he knew where I was at financially, and I said, you need to understand, I need to bless your life, and let me have the opportunity to pay for this meal. And some of you can pay for a meal for somebody and not always expect that somebody else is going to pay for the check. That's a poverty mentality. Just slip the waitress the credit card. When you get there, tell them you're going to pay for it, and you want the check. Start to learn to bless people, especially people that are more blessed than you. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Some people live with a feeling that they're never going to have enough reserves or resources. That's a terrible way to live. I'm, it, I'm never going to have enough. I don't have enough. It's like, you know what? I, with what I have, I can be faithful with, and God will give me more, and I'm going to trust him. Never... How about this one? A belief that you can lose it all despite everything you do. At any minute, your life, your home. I mean, look, I'm out on a limb for a lot of things. Can you imagine if I started living in fear that what if people stopped giving and stopped coming and this didn't make it and my coffee shops didn't make it and this and that? If I lived in this fear of I could lose it all any moment, I will be miserable. And it turns me into a workaholic where I work 12 hours a day and then I feel like I got to watch my own back because if I don't do it, nobody else will. That's not how you're going to live, sons and daughters. You're not going to live a life thinking and feeling like at any moment you could lose it all. I don't want you to live like that. The worst aspect of everything that I just explained to you with a poverty mentality is that we imbue these horrible behaviors into our children. We teach our children a poverty mentality when we're constantly saying we don't have enough money 
or when we're constantly being negative with words out of our mouth that we're never going to have enough or trusting for enough or believing or doing nice things for our children and teaching them that God provides and where it came from. That's a tragedy, is that we take that poverty mentality and put it right into our children. That's why the better thing to say is we don't have a budget. That's not a budget in our budget right now. The great thing about a budget is, is that the budget's the plan and it's not personal. The budget tells you what you make and what you can spend, and you learn to live on a budget. And the budget dictates and defines that. And then you teach your children how to manage a budget, and you teach your children how to work hard and be faithful with what God's given them and to walk by faith, and then teach your children to give back. Teach your children in the junior high or in the high school ministry or in the children's ministry or in here that we're giving back to the Lord. Teach your children to give toys away. Teach your children to learn how to make sacrifices. Yesterday I had my son and one of, one of our uh, close family members here, single mom, needed help moving her camper. And so I said, you know what, son, we're going to let I don't want to go. I want to swim in the pool and play with my toys. I said, get dressed right now. We're getting in this truck and we're going to go help this family member, because I'm going to teach you how we help other people. It's not about you all the time. A poverty mindset and an orphan spirit are linked. Orphans are victims. Sonship resolves identity issues and a victim mentality. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Orphans are victims. A poverty mindset and an orphan spirit are linked, and sonship and identity resolves the issues of a victim mentality. John 14, verse 17 and 18. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and here's what he says. This, he says, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him. So the world would be anybody that's not born again and having the Holy Spirit living inside of them. You have to be born again and get the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit is a man. His name is God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows you truth, and you can see him and know him, and it says, but you know him, for he dwells where? With you and where? Inside of you. And then he says in verse 18, Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. An orphan is always having to fight for everything that they get and never trust and rest and lives in a world of fear, shame, and self-preservation, and always has to watch their back. An orphan doesn't have a daddy, and an orphan doesn't believe that God the Father has the best things in store for them. They see God as harsh, angry, mad, or maybe like your dad was, and that he could leave you at any time. That's not my daddy, and that's not your daddy. And when he rescues you, he makes you a daughter. He makes you a son. And he has the best intentions for you. He will not leave you as an orphan. Let me define a victim mentality for you. A victim mentality is an acquired personality trait. You don't want to acquire this personality trait. This is not a good personality trait. Here's what it is. Somebody with a victim mentality is a person that tends to recognize themselves as a victim of the negative actions of others and to behave as if this were the case in the face of contrary evidence of such circumstances. If you go to the hospital and your child's in the hospital and you just post something on Facebook, that doesn't mean that I always see it or the church always knows it. And you can't make a decision and get offended and think that you're a victim because somebody didn't come visit you. Make the phone call, get into a relationship, and stop being isolated. 
because I hate it as much as you do. And then you take on the position that the church didn't care and they didn't come, but they did it for somebody else. It's a victim mentality. And then God, I've been working and serving God so hard, but look at that other person. Their life's a mess, but they got a new car or a new house and a promotion. I'm the one that deserved that promotion. Why did they get it? And, and then we start shaking our fist at God and somebody else. It's a victim mentality. In some cases, those with a victim mentality have actually, in, in fact, been a victim of wrongdoing by others or have otherwise suffered misfortune through no fault of your own. I was a victim of fatherlessness. Some of you have been a victim of abuse or rape or all kinds of crazy things. I get it. But the problem with a victim mentality is this, is when you get born again, God heals you, forgives you, and puts a name on you as a daughter and his loved one. Now you're not a victim anymore. What happens is, is most people that have fallen a, vic a victim to somebody else's decision live that way their whole life. But when you become a son or a daughter and get born again, God breaks you out of that victim mentality. Everybody say, I'm not a victim. I'm sorry for what somebody else did, but I don't have to make the choice to live in that all the days of my life and play the blame game on somebody else as they, they did the wrong thing and I get it, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault that my dad left me. It wasn't your fault when you got abused or raped or beat as a child or as a kid. That wasn't your fault. But you can't live your whole life blaming somebody else. You've got to come to the place and understand that God heals you and transforms you and he makes you no longer a victim. Maybe you were a victim, but it's not who I am now. It's not your identity. You don't have to live that way the rest of your life. A victim mentality is also used in reference to the tendency for recognizing your misfortune on somebody else's misdeeds. Someone with a victim mentality often doesn't take ownership of their own shortcomings, but rather plays the blame game where we bl blame everybody else and we preserve our own selves from any continuous hurt, bad perception, or failure. We're constantly afraid of what somebody else thinks about me. And you got to come out of that and come into the light. You can't worry about what somebody else thinks or perceives about you. And own it up. I bombed it. You know, but I think I self-deprecate a lot. I mean, I tell stuff that I'm just like, whatever. I mean, really. I tell crazy stuff about myself because I'm not a victim anymore. And you know how you know when you're healed? when you can tell your story. And some of you are ashamed to tell your story. But you want to drive a stake right in the devil's head? Start proclaiming what Jesus has done in your life. Don't be afraid to tell your story. Don't be afraid to share your testimony because it will break that fear and that victim mentality right out of you. So today, I want to replace the poverty mindset in your life. Are you guys ready? I'm going to give you my tools Biblical tools and things I employ to break a poverty mindset out of your life. The first thing is, is you got to put God first. Here's how you put God first. You trust him and you're obedient to him. You do what he says and you put all your trust in him. You give of your time. One of the fastest ways to break a poverty mentality and to position yourself to be blessed is to give. Okay? You give of your time. 
your talents, and your tithe. Your time, your talents, and tithe, okay? You give offerings above and beyond those things. You give first fruits every time God blesses you. You get a big tax check. I don't care if you tithe off your taxes. So what? Give a first fruit off. Somebody, you get a check in the mail, something good happens to you, give a first fruit right off the top back to the Lord. Be cheerful in your giving and don't be prideful with your abundance. In trusting the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. So who are you leaning on? Are you leaning on yourself or are you leaning on the Lord? And when you're leaning on the Lord, suddenly it positions you for something incredible to happen. So don't trust in yourself, trust in the Lord. And lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding is what you think and perceive. You want to think and perceive what he does through the mind of Christ. Verse 6. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and what does he do? Directs your path. So I want to be directed. I want to be directed. Here's how you get directed. You acknowledge him in all of your ways. Not some, not a little bitty part, not a micro, in all your ways. To acknowledge him doesn't just mean to say it. It means my actions back it up. So when I acknowledge the Lord in all of my ways, through my actions, through my lifestyle, through my finances, through my giving, through trusting him, what happens? You get directed. And I want you to be directed. I don't want you to feel alone. I want you to make wise choices and decisions. And that comes from the headship of Christ. The next thing is faith. Have faith. Habakkuk 2.4, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. So I live my life by faith now instead of being prideful. If you're not living your life by complete faith in the Lord, it's pride. Because instead of fully trusting him, I'm trusting myself. And so now, instead of being prideful with my gifts and talents and money and life and what he's put in my hand, now what happens is I'm living by faith instead of fear and trusting in my own self. I love this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by the political landscape. I'm not moved by this world system. I'm not moved by the economy. I'm not moved by who's sitting and not sitting in this seat. I'm walking by faith. And as long as I'm standing upright before him, honoring him, loving, and even when you bomb it, you ask for forgiveness and let the blood cover you, and then at some point you stop living that way. You start living right with his help and our help and reading the word and being guided by him. What happens is, is now you stop getting moved by what you hear. See, it's a sense. I'm not moved by my senses. I'm moved by faith. So I may see circumstances in this world that may not make sense or could bring fear, but I'm not moved by that. My mouth has a good confession of faith. I get it. What you see in the natural, what's happening in the world around us is crazy, right? People are, there's more demonic stuff manifesting in, in, in Washington, D.C. than I've ever seen in my life. You got to pray for our president. And you don't have to like him, but you have to pray for him, biblically. Next thing is your time and talents. Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. How many of you want to walk in freedom and liberty in your life, right? We all do. But here's what happens. We take that liberty and freedom, and we use it to spend on ourselves and as an opportunity for our own flesh instead of serving one another through love. 
And I got about 200 people in this church that aren't serving anywhere. And the Bible commands us to take our time and our talents and to give them away. And it's not just your money. It's serving one another in, with what God has put inside of you. I got younger. I need double the amount of children's workers. We need double the amount of, of media workers on cameras and in the sound booth. I need double the amount of ushers and prayer partners. We take our time and our talents and we, we get into freedom through Christ and now we take that freedom and we give it away instead of spending it on ourselves. Everybody has an ability to do something. Find a team leader and say, how can I help and how can I serve? You need to be serving. Get with, with Pastor Marlene. She'll tell you in about a whole minute where you can get connected. So your time and talents, there should never be, I should have stacked up camera workers. I should have stacked up uh, ushers. I should have stacked up children's workers. And I get it. It's like, well, I'm busy. You don't know. I'm working so many hours a week and I got little kids. Welcome to my world. Listen, if I stay focused on my own busy life and don't give away what God's given me, I'll be miserable. Everybody's got to make a sacrifice. Everybody makes a sacrifice. So God brings us to liberty so that we can spend that liberty on serving one another. The parable of the talents. Everybody here has a talent. The parable of the talent says that a landowner divvied out three, three types of talents, one, two, and five to three different people, and then he left. Two of them doubled it up. Everybody say, double it up. God wants to double you up. But the person with the one talent buried it and hid it because he knew God or thought that God was harsh, mean, wicked, and reaped where he didn't sow. Meaning he got all the benefit and reward and he didn't do any, anything to get it. That's a deceptive lie. So you take your time and your talents, you serve and you give and you invest it. And investing is giving away what God's given to you so that he can give you back more. And then the next thing is the tithe. I want to talk with you briefly about the tithe. The tithe has been a dirty word in a lot of churches to the point where it's like hidden and they just put it in the back. I get that. And if God led me to do that, I'd do that. But we pass the buckets as a, as a reminder of worship. Now, I give my money repeatedly online and I don't put money in the bucket. But some of you only have that ability to do that or you love to do that as an act of worship. And I love that. But let me help you understand something about the tithe, okay? I've always been a giver, and I don't know one person that's successful in their life that doesn't tithe or give. Deuteronomy 14.29. In talking about giving tithes, this is what the scripture says. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless who? You in all the work of your hand which you do. So the understanding here is that there were the, the Levites who were the full-time temple workers and the priestly tribe didn't go out and work another job. And the people were to sustain and take care of those that worked full-time in the house of God. Now you have a unique situation where I'm bivocational. I'm in the marketplace. I work in the marketplace. I have businesses outside of the church. But I have staff here that don't have other sources of income because I need them to work more here because the church has grown and more people are coming. And God has called them to make the sacrifice to work full-time in his house for him. Not everybody's that way, and they have freedom even to make money elsewhere. But some of them don't have those skills and abilities or at a life stage where they can't. 
So the point is, is that we are blessing the full-time workers in the kingdom of God, but who else does the money go to? The fatherless, the widow, the orphan. And I'm not just talking in the natural, I'm talking in the spirit. So we're, we're popping people out of an orphan mentality into sonship and identity. And what he says is, is that we give, we bring tithe into the storehouse so that people, wait, go back, I'm sorry. We bring into the kingdom, Deuteronomy 14, 29, so that people can come and eat and be satisfied. You're coming here to eat and be satisfied, but also to provide food for somebody else to eat and be satisfied. Why? So that the Lord God can bless you. When you give, you are positioning yourself to be blessed from the Lord. When you're trust, it's not about you in a sense. You're giving away so that you don't just pay a bill or help somebody else, but so that God can come back into your life and bless you the way he wants to bless you. All right? The next thing is a scripture that's been used and abused a lot, but I'm going to quote it for you this morning, and I'm going to help you understand it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And the Lord said, in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing for you, that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let me break this down for you. Number one, we rob God when we hold back from giving back to him. Okay, what we're saying is, is that God can't, God can do, that God can't do more with our 90% than if we had 100%. Amen. What we're saying is, is that God has blessed my life, but I'm going to be greedy and not hold back, and that's the curse. The curse, it's not like this. Here's the misconception lie. The fear is if I don't give, God will strike me down or God will cause my world to crumble. And I used to be taught that. That's not what I believe. I believe God loves you and he's constantly trying to bring you into a place to trust him for more, all right? I believe that giving positions me for the more that he has for me. But you can't sit here and live in fear. But if you wanna step into the more God has for you, you've gotta start giving away. When he says you are cursed with a curse, here's the curse. The curse is I'm greedy. This came from the garden. The curse is I'm greedy, I'm being selfish, I'm not trusting, I'm being prideful with what I have instead of trusting him. When you give, you reverse the curse. Giving reverses the curse. If you grew up in a poverty mentality, giving will reverse the curse. It's not adhering to Deuteronomy 28.47. In Deuteronomy 28.47, the Lord wants us to love him and trust him and serve him. How? With joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. God wants you to be fired up in your life and to serve him, not with fear and worry and doubt, but to trust and know that God loves you and cares for you. You do it with joy and gladness of heart, and you know that God wants you to walk in abundance. The answer is to believe that God can do more with your 90% than you can with your 100%. 
What we give goes into a storehouse so there can be food in his house. The storehouse was an inner room in the temple that was used for the distribution of the needs to the people. Now, this church gives money away in benevolence, and I have a team leader that oversees benevolence. When I met the girls on the side, I said, you need to meet Lisa because I don't know the system of how you can get medical help. I don't know all the help that's out there for food and clothes and all the other things, but she does. And so hopefully they'll be here, and I try to direct them to her, and I tell them that she's over at Rising Tide on the feeder road, and I try to support her and give finances so that she can help people that come here in need. It's food for his house. It's a place where we're fed and in turn feed others. And God says to try, prove, or test him in this, that in this one area, with your finances, God will never fail you. God will never fail you, I promise you. If you will start giving, you'll start to see the Lord abundantly move in your life. And it may take time, but you will see God move for you. And to see for yourself that he'll open up, pour out, expand abundantly, and rebuke the enemy and make your ground abundant and fruitful. And that all the nations will call you a blessed and delightful land. I love this very last part. The last part, the Lord says that he'll drive back the enemy, your vines will produce fruit, your life will be blessed, and now everybody around you will see that you're blessed and they'll call you a delightful land. Because I'm going to say it again. Somebody that's broke, busted, disgusted with a sour, bad attitude, always walking in fear and negativity and a victim mentality is not going to lead me to Jesus. The greatest compliment is for somebody to see you and say you're a delightful land. What is it about you, Leighton? You're not the way you used to be. God has blessed you and prospered you. You are a delightful land now. And all the nations see it. They'll look at Rock City, and people will take notice, and they'll see your life has changed. You're not living like you used to live. You're not a bar hopping, sleeping around, never satisfied, lonely, broke down, drunkard. That's not who you are. I'm going to leave you with these few things. I want you to believe that God is for you. Everybody say, God is for me. me. Say, God has the best in store for me. Even if you've blown it, if you blew it, today's a new day. You can start every day God's mercy is new. Do you know that? Every day is mercy's new. So some of you are like discouraged and stressed and anxious and worried. Whatever your situation is, every day is a new day. Every day is a new day. And you can start to trust God today and be faithful with the little that God's put in your hand and start to be obedient. He has plans to prosper you. You all should know Jeremiah 29, 11. This is what the Lord says. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. The thoughts that I think towards you are thoughts or plans to do what for you? To prosper you and to give you hope and to give you a future. You have to make a sacrifice. You know when it's hard to give? When it hurts the most. The best time to give is when it hurts the most. How about the widow who gave her last two mites in Mark 12, 43? Jesus is sitting by the treasury. He calls his disciples and he says, you see this poor widow? She put in more than all those who have given to the treasury for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. 
And even if you're in debt and struggling, if you can start to trust God and start giving back, you can position yourself to see God do something supernatural for you. How about David? King David blew it really bad when he chose to number and take a census of the people. You know what it was? It was him. It was David being prideful to trust in his own strength. He was looking at the army and the numbers, and it actually angered God. It wasn't a sin to count the people and take a census because Israel had already done that before. God instructed him to take a census. But David's heart was prideful, and he, he instructed Joab to take a census of the people so he could trust in how many people he had. And then God came and struck down Israel with a curse, and David repented, and the angel of the Lord is over a Jebusite's field named Ornan. And David repents, over, and that angel over the field, and the Lord instructs David to buy that field and to build a, a temple there. It's where the temple is to this day. And so when David goes up to Ornan the Jebusite, you can see the scripture, 1 Chronicles 21-24, Ornan wants to give him the field. Now, if he was cheap and didn't understand how much God could bless him, he would have said, oh, I'll take it for free. But instead, you know what he said? He said, I'm not going to sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I'll pay full price for it. Today, the Temple Mount is that field. You, it's always a sacrifice. You can't sacrifice to the Lord that which costs you nothing. And I know we love to live in a world of everything being free, but we all make a sacrifice here. You always got to make a sacrifice to serve and love and give. And then finally, I shared this at the gala, and I'm going to share it again. David gave of his own treasure to build the house. And because he did that, the people followed suit with a loyal and willing heart. First Chronicles 29, verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for this holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. And he gave abundance to see the first temple built. Verse 5 and 6, the gold for the things of gold, silver for things of silver, and all kinds of work to be done by the hands of Christ. And then he asks this incredible question to everybody that's there, all the leaders of Israel. He says, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? It says, then the leaders of the fathers' houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel and the captains, they all offered willingly. Verse 9, then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. We're not building something for God. He's building something for us. We don't give to benefit others. Giving to others benefits us. Giving is the fastest way to reverse the curse of greed and selfishness. Acts 20, 35, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. How many of you'd like to be in a position where you can give more? God, it is more blessed to be a giver now, sometimes you have to learn to receive. I have one particular person, and I won't name names, that every time I do something, they feel like they owe me back. Oh, I'm, I owe you. I'm, gonna, I'm like, you don't owe me anything, and you don't give me a, anything back, or you're going to rob my blessing. It's like you're guilty if somebody wants to give something to you. God wants to put you in a position to be a giver. And here's my final scripture. Give cheerfully and believe that God is able. Everybody say, God is able. God is able. 
but I say this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity. For God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And God is what? Able. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God wants you to have an abundance. God is able. He can do it in your life. You don't have to live with the poverty mindset or a victim mentality. Start building now for eternity. Replace the poverty mindset with an abundance mentality.